0: I'm an American.
1: You are listening to the Loving Liberty Network, and this is the Liberty Mom Show. Liberty Moms are the real defenders of the home front. We are there when it comes to defending our homes and our communities, and I am your host today, Delane England, and we have an amazing Liberty Dad with us today. Not a Liberty Mom, but we will later in the show. We have Liberty Mom, Christy Henshaw coming, but today we have amazing representative superstar Walt Brooks with us. Representative in Utah, and he is so fantastic, and he is a great Liberty Dad, not only for our of his own children, but he is a great Liberty Dad of our community and for our state. And Representative Brooks, welcome to the Liberty Mom Show.
2: Man, for a minute there, I thought you were talking about someone else, <laughs> talking about the regular <laughs> no, Walt Brooks show here. here you know, <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, you know we. You are just a superstar, and we just have so much admiration and respect for you. And you you were the sponsor of literally, not to make any other representatives mad, but literally the best bill of the session, HB60, that vaccine mandates. And so it's not really mandating vaccines, it's really mandating no vaccine passports, oh, yes. just to be clear. And so while this was such a great bill and I can't tell you how much fun It has been to work with you on this bill. And what I mean, really, I could not the whole time you were sponsoring this bill. I'm just like, wow. no one could present this bill better than Representative Brooks. So tell us about what the bill actually, without getting too far in the weeds, because the bill took on seven different lives. (laughs) It changed a lot. But basically, the intent of the bill, where it started, and then we'll just go to where it kind of. Ended. So let's sure. tell tell everyone about the bill.
2: So the, the the bill contains three parts. And I think that's what we really can boil down to it. It prevents government from requiring a vaccine or a vaccine passport. It prevents um, what's called public accommodation. So which means you have to show a, a vaccine passport to go shopping, go to the movies, go to the gas station, whatever. So anywhere you would do commerce you know, go buy things. That's public accommodation. And the third part is the employer employee relationship, which would prevent an employer from discriminating against an employee if they're not vaccinated. And really that's the, the part that really got me started was, you know, you saw all these, I mean, we had them in our neighborhood, these big signs, you know, thank you to our healthcare workers. Thank you for our first responders. And then the next day there were villains if they weren't vaccinated. And I'm like, this is too odd. And then everywhere on the news, on on the Internet, everybody's losing their job or potential lose a job because they chose not to get vaccinated um, for the flu, basically. And, you know, exactly. I, 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 I,
1: I just want to say it's like it's so interesting that not only did they not want to, but why should anybody know? Why is it anybody's business, whether they have done it or not? And I'll, for even people who have chosen to be vaccinated, they still don't necessarily want to tell everyone.
2: No, you're why absolutely does this right. become
1: public information? You go to a party and people say, oh, well, don't worry, I've been vaccinated. And Or they ask, have you been vaccinated? And I'm like, oh, well, are we just going to ask every personal mm-hmm. medical question there is out there or only that one? So I well, just think that it's important to, for people to think about since when did we just share our private medical information with everyone?
2: Well, that's why we never had had this problem before, because everyone understood what HIPAA laws were. And they're more than just the medical industry. They were to protect your private health information. And so when people started asking these questions, like, wait a second, when, do you, when I go to the pharmacy, I have to stand six feet behind somebody so I can't hear what they're talking about because it's private. And then all of a sudden at work, I mean, we didn't. We don't ask people if they have AIDS or if they have meningitis or you know what other things. And and if you're vaccinated, then you don't have to worry about getting sick. And and so people say, well, what about those people who can't get vaccinated? I'm like, well, they're in the same problem because now they're not vaccinated, and so they're going to be discriminated against. But um, it, it just none of it really made a lot of sense. I think there was enough information, and the more that people asked questions, it seemed the more that they were. I'm demonized. And so I'm like, all right, we, we need to do something. And it was one of my colleagues um, that said in a meeting says, what we should do, if we're doing something about the pandemic, we should look at it before the pandemic happened. So, because the pandemic can screw things up. Well, what was it like before the pandemic? We didn't ask those questions. And so that was an important part of the bill. And that was the piece that kind of screwed it up at the end. And um, we can go into those details if you want, but so we still have the government section, the public accommodation section, but those last two substitutes was removing the employer employee relationship part of it, which is really a heavy part of the bill and probably the most difficult part to try to get through the legislature because the chamber of commerce is opposing.
1: That's exactly right. Which is so interesting to me that suddenly if I'm a doctor like Dr. Lionel Mason who's just recently entered the race to run for the legislature in Baltimore, so he's a doctor and he he said, you know, if I if I as a doctor am privy to someone's private medical information, if I shared that with anyone, I would go to prison. It that is how serious. He goes, I would go to prison as a doctor. I have access to that information only because I'm a doctor and then if I shared that with anyone, I would go to prison, and yet, as a boss, I can ask someone that and demand it of them to keep their job with me as their boss, and if they don't surrender it, then I can just fire them, and that is so interesting to me, how we've just we've just turned the entire American dream upside down, because in America, the burden of proof lies upon the government to prove that I am... Out, at risk or, sh- or putting someone else at risk, that it's their job to prove I'm putting someone out. It's not my job to prove I'm putting someone else at risk. If yeah. I'm sick, of course I'm going to stay home. Of course I'm going to quarantine myself if I'm sick and, sh- and well should, but there is that burden of proof. So it's just flipped. Now all of a sudden I have to prove that I'm not contagious, which let's be honest, getting a vaccine does not prove that you're not contagious and it does not prove you don't have a disease.
2: Correct. And, you know, that HIPAA stuff even goes further. So I went through the hospital when all the IHC beds were full and looking at really what was happening. And and we had assigned some stuff. And I'm familiar with HIPAA because I do it with my my own job. But um, they went to explain even further that we can't even say, hey, I saw a, a 14-year-old girl in the ICU because someone might know a girl is 14 that's it's in the, or around the age. And that was close enough to draw that relationship that that would violate HIPAA laws. And here we have to go around and show a piece of paper with all of our information on it. It just, it, you're right. It's an, a part that needed to be in there. So that's one reason why the bill, I actually pulled the bill at the very end. Um, and I've got a lot of flack for it, but I think people just didn't understand the whole process, but.
1: Yes, because we're so excited about the bill. Okay. So the bill started out at past house committee and it passed the House overwhelmingly. We had enough votes that it's a veto-proof bill. So, I mean, not that it is veto-proof. It still has to go through that process. But, but we had more than two-thirds votes in the House. It was doing very well. It definitely got held up be, but before going to the Senate. It did make it through the Senate committee. But here's the thing that also I think is really interesting that I want everyone to understand. I have never seen and there never has been because I've been up to Capitol Hill as a citizen for a long, long time. I've never seen that many members of the public attend these hearings on this bill as, as any other bill that I've ever seen. There are more people that attended the hearings on HB 60, no vaccine mandates than any other bill in 30, 40 years
2: you know, and Delaine, that
1: tells me that people care and want this bill.
2: You're right. And it actually made a huge difference because there was a lot of people that had hesitation. And it's 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 normal for a big bill like this and you know, that changes um, something that's kind of significant to kind of get their arms around it. Um, like I, I mentioned to, I think, you before, when we did constitutional carry, it took a couple of years. And they've been working on that for decades um, Social Security tax that took four years before it went and got through it. Some of these things really have to get people to understand really the details through it before they feel comfortable. But having so many, I'm going to put this normal people, and I'm right. going to say it that I'm going to say it that way because um, I qualify normal as people that use respect and civility. You know, when people come screaming at you and yelling names, that it, it just it loses its emphasis and it loses their voice because people just turn it off and then they become crazies. Right. Because they're right, just on right. streaming. But the but your group and all the groups that came up there were so good. They I mean, really, they they're respectful. They were they talked, they let people speak and then they listened and they, they responded. And it was really good. And that was the difference. Because I know we could probably got about eight, maybe ten votes more out of the house that we probably would not have gotten without that kind of support. So you're right, that all those people there were was amazing. And, you
1: know, that's great feedback, representative Brooks. I I really appreciate that feedback. And that's something for everyone to learn. Nobody likes being yelled at. Nobody does. No one really enjoys it. And when we are respectful and respectfully engaged, we do get so much more. And people will listen to us. Mm-hmm. And as repre- people want to be listened to, we want to be listened to. So do representatives want to be listened to. So I think that is a very important lesson for everybody is that is that exchange of respect does it does do it does benefit literally everyone. It's very much a win win. Absolutely. Okay, so then it didn't you pulled the bill, so it didn't go to the floor of the Senate. And so this year was a really kind of an important year for this bill because people are very upset about losing their liberties and having the government take their freedoms from them without due process. And with, and there isn't, you know, there isn't a clause in the constitution, either the um, federal constitution or the state constitution that says, except in this case. So it really, we should keep our freedoms even in a pandemic, but there and also because it's an election year, I think it did support some people in voting for it because their constituents and their people that were going to vote for them or against them were aware of that and they felt like they needed to represent, keep up, keep their oath of office and represent their people. I think that helps. So, what do, what can we do now as citizens? What can we do because this bill is going to come back next year? Is that right? Absolutely. Yep. You're going mm-hmm. to bring it back, and so. What can we do now or should we wait? Like what can we do to keep this bill relevant and what can we do to keep this bill? So we make, can we, we can get it passed next year.
2: Yeah. So I, I probably want to mention why we pulled a bill. Cause I okay, think people understand that. So um, there were some, some delays that were, cause people didn't like the bill, right. Especially right. at the very beginning. Um, there was a small delay between the house and the Senate, but the, The substitution that happened by the senators at the very end, I've thought a lot about this. I don't think there was anything nefarious there. They were just trying to, I think, make it so it passed easier in the Senate. And that was removing the relationship between the employee and employer. So you could, as an employer, um, require your, your employees to show proof. And to me, that was probably a significant portion of the bill. And that's the hardest part to sell. So in the, in the legislature, it's easy to sell the government part, right? Government should never be telling us what to do. And then what we call the public right. accommodation part, people are like, yeah, I don't want to show my papers everywhere I go. We could have got that passed. But then next year and years to come to try to pass just the employer part, we would have had only that to sell with all the opposition. And my gut feeling tells me there is no way that would ever have happened. We would have been basically a bill that does nothing for us. Nothing more than we're doing now. And so at the last minute, as it's going through, um, I was thinking, wow, we're just going to go and debate. And as we were talking, Delaina, they're debating some other bills, right? Like the transgender bill and some other right. things. two and a half hours that was going yes. through. And yes. we could have got shortly after that, probably got it passed gutted, you know, without the employer part. But when it would have come over, I would have opposed that. Um, That were we called not concur. And then it would have to go back and at the bottom line. And did you notice that we still had bills on our board, they still have bills on their board? It would have not gone through. So what we would have done is wasted about an hour or more time debating that on the Senate, which means other House bills would have died. They would not have enough time to get through. And so we were in the same spot with no bill, but also made some legislators mad because we wasted time knowing it wasn't going to go through. So I pulled it so we could have some of their bills, make sure that they got through. And the net result was the same, that we are going to work on this bill better for next year. And I think we got it down. So how can we do this? What's your, your, your question? Yes. Right now is critical because everybody now has um, declared they're going to run or not. And we should have all of our people contacting them, especially if it is their representative or senator, and say – I. And remember, we talked about this as I'm your constituent, but we also need to teach them what that really means. Because I get people that says they're my constituent. And they live in Park City. They're not. Right, you know? yeah. Just because we're in Utah doesn't mean – a constituent <laughs> means they live in my district or my boundary. Exactly.
1: It means I can vote for you or I can vote against you. Right. That's what a constituent is.
2: And, and that, that actually means a lot because you know, I'll get hundreds, if not a 1,000 email emails a day, and I look to see if they're my rep or excuse me, if they're my constituent, they live in my area. And they're the um, opinion I want to really know about because that's who I'm supposed to represent. They're great opinions if they're over in Blanding or if they're up in Park City, but they're not ones that I'm going to weigh very heavily because that's not who I represent. So having them contact, let's say someone that's running in the New Harriman District or someone who's running Sandy and say, where do you sit on this bill? Where, where do you vote? You know, And while it's still in their campaigning mode, because one, we have them on record, which is really, and I really think most people, most people are good people. And when they say I, I, something, they, they usually say, well, I made a commitment. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people and said, well, I've already committed to it. Now you do learn more things as you go on and maybe your position changes, but um, I think getting them early on. So they know that it's an important subject. They're familiar with it. And that's the, that's the the critical part. By the time the session comes up next year, they're already familiar with the bill. They're already familiar with the concept that, yeah, this is a liberty bill. This is something that we want to make sure that we're protecting freedoms, and it will go through. Um, Some of our hesitations that we've had, um, like in the the House rules, we've had some changes that are going to happen there. So I anticipate less of a problem that we have experienced this year, even though I I have really nothing bad to say about Representative Hawks, he's a good person. I've known him for a long time, but his job is an employer attorney. Mm -hmm. So they're looking at anything that could hurt an employee from an employer, you know, or employee that relationship. So his argument was well, if someone gets fired because they're not doing the work, they can hang on this little piece and say, Nope, you fired me because of this and it's discriminate. It's just one more thing in his mind thinking as an attorney. Now, obviously, I don't believe that, but him, that's what the life, in the world that he lives in. So I don't condemn him for that because it's, that's what's kind of neat about our legislature. We have so many different perspectives because we're a part time legislature. We have the real world we have to live in. That's so, how um, we want it. Right, that's right. Yes. And I think it's, I think it's fantastic because <laughs> education bills, we go to educators and, and like in technology, they some, will come to me a lot of times because I live in that kind of world. And so we get to um, benefit from people's experience. So I I do think there was resistance because people didn't like the bill or they were uncomfortable with the bill, but not as nefarious that some of the things that I've seen or read or something like. But but that's okay. We we know where our hiccups are. Um, I think I have a better idea of how we can approach the employer-employee relationship portion, and I think a big part of that is where your team can really come into benefit is let's contact those people who are running and let's ask them right now. And the ones that hesitate. Let's explain it to them. So, cause I guarantee the chambers are going to go and say, look, you can't go into business. And do we say, really? Does, does the government tell businesses when they can be open? Yeah. You can't be open. Do we tell businesses they can't sell cigarettes or alcohol or whatever else? Yes, we do. We, we have all these things that we have in place, but what is more important than telling a business where they sell cigarettes is how they treat an individual. Does it just because I own a business, that gives me the right to know your personal health information, and no, it does not. Um, people brought up, so what if smallpox or tuberculosis came up or something like that? Go, those are good questions. And does this bill prevent that? No, it doesn't prevent it because those tools are still in the legislature and in the governor to be able to issue an emergency just like he can now. So it doesn't prevent um, things that we can't see in the future. But a sure prevents problems now and setting a line again in the sand that used to be bright. That that HIPAA stuff, that was a bright line that we knew that we didn't cross. But COVID made it dull and kind of gray, and people went all over the place. And I think it's time that we make that line bright again.
1: I love how you said that. I love that because light is really the equivalence of truth, and we want to shine light everywhere. So I love that analogy. It's like, let's make that line really bright and make it visible. So that is exactly what I've been telling everyone who ran and be and won as a delegate. This is the number one question next to what's the proper old government. Um, this is the question you want to ask as you're vetting candidates. And if you're not a delegate, you can still ask that question and make sure that your neighborhood, your precinct representatives, your delegates, make sure they ask that. This needs to be a very strong basis of their election who is going to elect people who will support this bill who will support these principles of freedom so that we don't end up in a, a country where we have to show a passport to enter society and to work and to engage with other people so it is it really is a civil's rights it's a civil rights bill of our day and and I as i said Representative Brooks, I felt like every time you presented this bill, you just did such a great job. I felt like you really did own it. You understood it and you articulated it so well. well and thanks. I just you're really a champion of liberty, a champion of freedom for the people.
2: Well, I, I really want to, um, again, recognize the people that came because that was a significant portion of why we got had so much support in the House and in the Senate. They just didn't get a chance to. In fact, I had senators. um that they wanted to vote on the bill even knowing he was going to die because they want it on their record so when they, when they right. run. And I'm like, well, we're not doing this for people's records, right? <laughs> we're doing this to get good legislation in. So um, let's get out there and, and ask that question and let people know that this is an important topic. And I think we're going to see some great success next year.
1: You know, you're right. I had quite a number of senators say to me on that last night, what can you do? Can you go talk to Representative Brooks because we want to? We want this bill. We want to vote for it. it. We have the votes. It will pass. And so people did want to, and I think they want it on the record. But I think they also, many of them also, want the bill. They do want to have our rights protected in that manner. So, yeah, I, um, I agree. And so, Representative Brooks, do you have someone running against you?
2: I don't. Well, I I'm not surprised. Have, I was. I was surprised. I don't even have a Democrat or a you know, libertarian or something, but. Well, um,
1: this is, you know, God does bless those who do this.
2: So it is <laughs> well, a blessing, a
1: much but less stressful. Yeah, you've worked oh. hard for it. So I'm thrilled for you that you don't even have to worry about that. You don't have to run a campaign. So, so again, this bill is no vaccine passports. It's HB 60 on the 2022 legislative record. And you can go on to le.utah.gov and you can pull up the bill. You can read it. You can read the uh, changes and you can kind of and you also can hear Representative Brooks present the bill, which is really great. If you're concerned about discussing this issue with your candidates that you're looking to vote for or against, listen to Representative Brooks and the testimony. It will give you all the talking points that you need so that you can really represent yourself well and make sure that your the candidates are well versed and well educated on this so we can be sure and get this bill through and representative brooks i just really appreciate your hard work you worked so hard on it and you have taken it very well because it's kind of depressing to work so hard on a bill start it so early and then not have it end up to fruition but you have a great attitude about it
2: thank you for having me on i appreciate that
1: thank you for being with us you're wonderful thank you appreciate it we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back stay with us This is the Loving Liberty Network, and this is the Liberty Moms Show. Liberty Moms are the original secretaries of the defense. We are the real defenders of the home front. We are there when it comes to defending our families and our communities. I'm your host today, Delane England, and we have amazing Liberty Mom, Christy Henshaw with us. Welcome, Christy. Thank you for having me. We are so pleased to have you. Christy is a great Liberty mom. I have just really enjoyed getting to Christy and working with her the last couple of years. And we are going to be discussing, we just ended in Utah, our 45-day legislative session. We've ended that for the year. Of course, we will meet once a month throughout the, the month, throughout the rest of the year. But I'm feeling kind of let out of jail. How about you, Christy. It was like the most terrifying and relieving.
0: I can't. I can't even tell you. Um, yeah, I waited until midnight that night and watched uh, the rest of the House and the Senate finish up. And it was, oh, a big sigh of relief. Um, and then I think I needed therapy for what I had been through. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel like I have PTSD. Literally, it was a rough session. A very very rough year. Um, but we did have some. We did have some wins, we did have some successes, and we did definitely have some fa- some disappointments or failures. Um, but of course, that doesn't mean we're done. It means we'll just come back next year and work on it again. But we did, we were able to stop some really horrible bills. Not all of them, but we were able to stop some horrible bills. So that's always very gratifying. So, what is there a specific bill that reaches out to you? you know, I just had Representative Walt Brooks on, and we did discuss HB six. So we talked about what happened there and what we can do throughout this year, how we can make that relevant, how we can keep it a relevant bill and how we can choose our next candidates, next representatives as we vet our candidates so that we elect only candidates who are willing to vote for no vaccine passports no vaccine mandates uh, that we will have medical privacy. That is very important. That is part of who we are. It's part of America. And requiring to divulge private medical information in order to keep a job is completely un-American. And it's unacceptable. And so that is a great way to bet these people that are running for office and make sure that we do not, um, we do not elect, we should not elect anybody that is willing to vote against that bill. Would you agree with me? I
0: absolutely agree with you. <laughs> um, and I'm really that. encouraged, actually, because I'm seeing who filed. And, oh, it's it's very encouraging. There is some hope there. But for sure, I think the ones that I watch the most, obviously, I think are the ones that are the, um, the scariest for us right now. And, of course, HB 60, um, you know, had we been able to pass that, it could have been something that was, and I think it still has the potential to be something that other states could look towards. Um, And so that was a big reason why I was hoping Utah could pull it off um, because it's such a massive protection that needs to be there. And I thought it was funny that one of the arguments, you know, was that it would create a protected class. Um, And I thought, well, this is interesting because it was a protected class that could fluctuate between any of the people. And I thought, because when you're talking about um, any of these vaccinations and where you have varying degrees of certain countries had a, you know, um, two plus a booster, and you had other countries that had upwards of four or five um, shots. And I thought, you know, we don't know where this is going to land. So this could actually
1: be inclusive to everyone. So I thought, It is inclusive to everyone. Yeah. Because it, it included that whether you've had a vaccine or not. You did not have to divulge that information. Mm-hmm. So no one, even vaccinated people, should not have to take their passport and prove it to anyone. So it, it isn't a protected class by any degree because it was to protect every single person, whether you were vaccinated or not. You did not have to divulge your medical record. There right. could right. easily be a time when you don't want to admit that you have been vaccinated or boosted. And that, again, is private Medical information, so I don't see how anyone consider, could consider that a a, a a protected class because it was to protect and every individual, which is how the Constitution is: every individual is protected equally. I agree, right. we shouldn't have protected classes, but this was not a protected class.
0: Yeah, that. So I thought that was interesting. The other thing that I think really, I think the conversation needs to, and I know you just talked about this, so not to harp on HB sixty, but it was definitely the the bill that had the most eyes on it, I would say, this yes. um, is that when we're talking about the collection of data, especially co- data that's collected through businesses, and as we look at data as a new form of currency, like data is money, um, and so it is. we have to add privacy protections to that. And I think that, that this stayed in the debate of... Um, vaccinated and unvaccinated and we tried to pull it out of that debate but i really think this comes down to privacy issues more than anything else and i, I i'm hoping that that's where the next session goes is that we look at privacy as technology increases and we have this ever intrusive um, collection of data on us that we start to say you know what's the what is the right role? for data collection and privacy. And if those two don't increase simultaneously and privacy gets left in the dust and technology um, continues at the pace that it's at, I think um, we're gonna have a real problem. I, I think we already do, but even more so. So my hope is that we can focus a little more on privacy. Um, I'll tell you a couple of the other bills that were, were um, along these same lines would have been um, SB88 with the digital driver's license for the same reason any data collection and I know that um and
1: let's just talk about that real quick Christy yeah. so digital driver's license they were absolutely set on passing that bill because it we were already doing it we've already done it on a pilot program and there are those who love this and want it with everything they have this was and as you stated data is currency so this means big bucks and it's a pilot program that was about to end, supposedly, and so this is going to expand it and keep it going and turn it from a pilot program into um, ongoing forever. And, of course, it's always opt-in, so you don't have to do it. You just It's just for those. So that sounded compelling. You gave great testimony there, as did many others. And um, we were able to not really kill the bill. I prefer to have a vote and have it killed. We didn't get that, but we did have them send it back to rules, so they didn't actually vote on it. But in essence, the bill is dead now, although it can be resurrected next year. That is a really important win because they went in there with every intention of voting for that bill, and because the people stood up, spoke out, showed up, and gave excellent testimony, excellent, they did not have the whatever Courage, or whatever you want to call it, they did. They maybe they had the wisdom not to vote for the bill, they had the wisdom not to pass it out. And so, I just want to notice I want people to n- take note there was a great success because of people's citizen involvement and engagement. It worked,
0: yes, absolutely. Um, there were a lot of wins, um, as scary as it was. I would say
1: that the legislature. That no, okay, there? We, we lost you for a second, so just start that again. Go
0: ahead. So I was going to say, as scary as the legislative session was, there were a lot of wins um, in the sense that uh, people showed up, and that was awesome. I've never seen anything like it, you know, and to sit in a room and have so many people come or have so many people email and have so many people engaged. And the the cool thing is, is that lots of people have come and said, Uh, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll do whatever, you know. And so this is where I love the mom movement. Um, And I just had an experience at my caucus with this as well, where people are saying, I I have no idea, but I got to do something because I'm not going to leave this to my kids. And I think that's. I
1: I love that. And I had that experience. It was so exciting to see so many people enter the race that said, I don't even know how to do it. Like, what do I do? How do I get involved? I want to run. What should I run for? How do I do it? And then have so many people, not enough, but people that haven't been before, get engaged in their caucus meeting, go to their precinct caucus, and get engaged and run for delegates. So that is really exciting. Now, we do have a very, very serious problem in the Republican Party, and that is we had a lot of Democrats who went and registered or even didn't register, but went and attended their caucus meeting and ran to be a delegate and won. So we've been infiltrated by a lot of del- Democrats. And even one of our candidates on the Republican ticket, who was a legislator for 10 years, Becky Edwards, who encouraged, openly encouraged Democrats, told them, hey, this is a great system. Go to the Republican caucus and register and run and become a delegate so you can represent me. That is very problematic because I think people who that's what that's the beauty of the parties. There's a lot of ugliness to the parties. But the reason that there are parties is we I we surround ourselves with like-minded people and the party platform defines what the party is and what you believe in. That defines the the size or who the who is in the party. And I just think that. We need to to have honor and integrity. We need to stay within our own party and let the party pick their candidates, each party, and then we can have the citizens jump in and decide who they want of those candidates chosen by each party.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree, and I think someone's looking into a rules change for that. Um, it is. It's just dishonest, um, and it's, it's, presenting yourself as something that you're not. And if you can't be right. honest about the views that you have, um, you know, maybe you should reconsider some of those views. So,
1: <laughs> Right. Yeah. If you believe it, then just own it. Come out and, and embrace it. Uh, exactly. exactly.
0: Um, I just wanted to mention two of the other things in the legislative session um, was just protecting grandma. So we were watching grandma, which is Utah's uh, version of freedom of information. Um, protecting grandma we watched some of those there was one that had the potential to be extremely uh, dangerous to grandma which didn't really go anywhere and then there was a a change that wasn't horrible compared to the other one Um, and then the other one was just making sure that electronic voting uh, doesn't happen anytime soon because like I said we do not have the privacy in place um, if we're going to have that large scale of data collection on people so
1: you know, just to, to just to go back to the Protecting Grandma, just for those who might not know what that is, it's where you can where you can file and receive government records. Um, can't remember what it stands for, do you? Government mm-hmm. records. Government Access Management Act. Oh, my gosh, I'm so impressed. Access Management Act, that's exactly right. So we in the state of Utah have the right to get these government records. And so you can file a request to get these records, and they can only charge you what it actually costs uh, the lowest paid employee to take their time to get those records together. And what we all have a right to have access to those records. So that is a very important bill to protect because we will not have any sovereignty or any integrity in our government if we don't have access to, to vet it, to see it, and to know what's going on. So that is an absolute civil right. and then you would spoke of elections and we had quite a few election bills. Uh, We had, I would just say five or six really excellent election bills. Yeah, there were a lot. And then we had a lot of horrible election bills.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Over 20 of them. So how do you think overall, how do you think we fared on elections?
0: Well, and this is, you know, I guess part of the message for a lot of the people that are coming, if we're looking at the marathon that this is, Um, I think we fared well because we moved the conversation forward. And previously, um, the conversation was shut down, and it was denial, denial, and now it is more geared towards fixes and changing procedures. And so the conversation has definitely moved forward, which is a huge plus. So overall, I mean – Yeah, I felt like it was successful. I think if you were to sum up, aside from HB60, elections was probably the theme.
1: Absolutely. Agreed. And I, I really like your assessment. I couldn't agree with you more because we didn't get everything we wanted, which is normal, but we did move the needle because there was this big, you guys are wearing tinfoil hats, if you don't trust, to the, we, maybe we, elections are the most important thing that happened in our country. You have no sovereignty without um, honest and and honorable elections, and so we should trust our elected officials. Sure, but we need to verify, and we definitely need to verify our elections because they're on computers, and because we send out blast out ballots to literally everybody, and then some.
0: Yeah. No. Uh, you know, combined with that, the Secure Vote Utah initiative. Um, looking at what happened with ranked choice voting this year and the elections, um, I have whittled it down to two things. If we ever lose grandma, if we ever lose access, and if we lose elections, um, which is why with ranked choice voting, we really look to protect the grassroots and primaries. And, um, you know, it's an easy argument. I think the argument as in a lot of these things is convenience. And so we have to look at, We've got, yes, things are convenient. Um, There's a lot of, one of of our, uh, the people that work with us said, yeah, it's convenient to leave your keys in the car too. Um, But it doesn't mean that you could do it, you know.
1: That's a great analogy. I love that. Yeah, it's very convenient. Leave your car running all the time, ready for (laughs) you. Keep it warmed up. It's very convenient. Stupid, but very convenient, yeah.
0: Right. So, yeah, looking at um, just being able to verify That is the big thing and that is what what elections has harped on this whole time is that um trust has been broken trust has been damaged Uh, we want to be able to verify for ourselves we want to make sure the elections are clean we want to make sure that the people that we are voting into office make it there um and so whether the system previously has been broken or not you can find a lot of information about that it is we want a system where you and i can both verify that we were able to see with our own eyes, and I'm not talking about poll watchers because a lot of times they'll say, oh, anybody can come down and watch. And if you've been down, they're very kind and it's a wonderful system and it's very complicated and you're essentially watching machines run. Right, Um, yes. For me, that doesn't verify. Um, I I don't know what the machines mean. I'm just seeing paper being run through machines. Um, And I appreciate the checks that they have on those systems. Um But I want to know for sure um that the people that you know my community voted for ends up in office because if we do that and we have and we end up with um the look of elections, you know we 'll just keep going and never know, and we can try harder the next year and we 'll just keep losing um, and so it, it essentially is just to make sure that the people really have their voice heard that 's so. it
1: absolutely as it's so. It is just foundational of our country. It's important that their voice is heard and that it is reflected, that it is counted accurately. So do you want to talk just really quickly about ranked choice voting? I think it might be good for people to understand. I'm assuming you're, I mean, I know you're against ranked choice voting. I don't have to assume. So, and and I am as well. So why are we against ranked choice voting? Okay.
0: Um there are I'm gonna try and whittle this down. Great. There are so many different areas yes. about ranked choice voting that we could talk. Um essentially the biggest issues with ranked choice voting come in multi-seat races where it's being pitched. Um so for those who don't know, there is a organization called Fair Vote um that has been using making use of the pilot program in the state of Utah. For alternate methodologies. But currently, there's only one that is used, and that's ranked choice voting. Um, So I should say methodology. Um, And they have been going to local municipalities who have been given the choice on how to hold their local elections. So um, if the local municipality decides to go with ranked choice voting, they have a financial incentive to do so because then they can eliminate primaries. Um, and when you're talking small cities or towns where that budget um, is a big deal, this is a pretty big incentive. And I've seen them look at it just because of this. Um, and so then you really have to interject into the conversation the merits of ranked choice voting and what you gain and what you lose, because that, that will cut their elections in half, their election costs Mr. half. You,
1: Christy? We have, okay, We lost you for a second. Just back up for just a touch and carry on from there. We lost you.
0: So if they can eliminate the primaries for their local municipalities, then they can cut their election budget in half. And that has been uh, something that has made them look this direction. So the problem has been trying to um, make the rounds to these local municipalities and to communicate the issues with ranked choice voting. So just really quick for those who don't know, ranked choice voting is a process in which you can have multiple candidates and you would rank your first choice, your second choice, your third, your fourth. And in this way, um, their arguments are that you don't have to vote for the lesser of two evils. And if there's a third party candidate that you like, you get to put them first. Um, the, the problem with this being, it doesn't ever help third party candidates. Uh, what happens is the third party just is eliminated off the first round and they never have to uh, make any there's never any communication with the main party. So, for instance, if you have um, the Libertarians will usually default to the Republican Party, so their second choice is usually going to be a Republican Party candidate. Like the Green Party is usually going to default to the Democrat Party, and so you're going to have – they just align that way. So it doesn't really help them. What it does is it takes away any bargaining power that they had originally. Um, So the biggest problem, though, is that you can game it. And there's a thing called non-monotonicity, which is where uh, second place can eventually have the advantage. Um, And I think we're seeing some of this stacking up. And so what they'll do is they'll align with people and they say, if I'm not your first choice, at least put me for your second choice. Um, And then the first choice has to hold their ground if they don't get 51% right out of the gate. And so then you have people who are getting to vote more than once. And so if I voted for the first person and they're holding their ground and somebody else gets to vote three or four times, um, it fundamentally violates the one person, one vote. And so that is a, that is a big problem with it. Um, th- one of the, their pluses that they say is that it will make elections nicer. And um, there, there is a problem, and I, I just very much disagree, that just because people um, debate
1: things means that it's contentious. Exactly. So, Don't we want to vet? That's the point of vetting is that we point out the differences between the candidates. And this makes some not want to point out the differences, which makes them all vanilla, which doesn't really help us choose wise, make wise decisions and choose wisely our candidates.
0: Yeah. Which means you don't actually find where they stand until they are in office and voting. Mm
1: -hmm. And that's
0: that's a big problem. Um, So, Those are uh, probably the biggest issues with ranked choice voting, but uh, one more issue that is very significant that may happen in Utah, and we know this because of grammar requests that we got, is that if they expand ranked choice voting enough and it it, uh, crosses over into congressional districts, they will have to centrally tabulate. And Mm -hmm. I am just such a big fan of decentralization in all power, and if you have one place running all the tabulations for the state of utah um it is one place uh, that leaves itself open for for you know corruption it, just as far as centralization versus decentralization goes um and so i appreciate more checks and balances on on elections and so that's probably one of the biggest things is um having the, and if they do centrally tabulate it it can make the case for a national popular vote it would be an easy foot in the door to say well if we're already centrally tabulating at all the states we could just centrally tabulate in washington um, so and then you would lose the electoral college which would be a big problem but no yeah.
1: yes the electoral college is such a genius of our fans that would keep the votes local and keep your power local it, It's and to not allow again not to be centralized but also not to have the big cities make the decision for the entire country so they were very very ingenious in that and we must protect our electoral college. Christy you have just been absolutely fantastic we have 30 seconds is there anything else you'd like to, to finish uh, up with?
0: Yes Delaine, this is my thing um, I'll go quick I think there's a place for everybody in this Um, I think everybody will have their line. Will they say, I need to stand up. I'm not leaving this kind of world to my children. Um, I am super encouraged by all of these moms and everything that they are doing. Um, Also, I think that um, getting involved and making sure that everybody is involved and building bridges. Everybody is so divided. And if we can say, Thank you, Christy.
1: Thank you so much. Sorry, we're out of time. We'll have you again. Thank you. Have a beautiful day. Thank you. you.
0: Bye-bye.